or now we're saying we are part of a network yeah. that has put I go goosebumps here that that we did so well in London and then did even better. Mm, yeah. I think that has generated some sense of belonging. Well, hello to you all and welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast with me, Steve Ingham. Now, the Supporting Champions podcast is all about exploring the dynamics of high performance with people who have been there and done it, people who've supported others to succeed or have explored performance concepts in real depth. So this is the second episode of of three featuring the rise of the UK high performance system and So looking back at the last episode, uh, we had a panel discussion with the brilliant, bright mind of Jamie Pringle and the the font of wisdom that is Rosie Mays. And and we really explored about the the early stages of how the UK system got off the ground. This episode now is the the middle part of of this series. And and what we're going to dive into here is a discussion about how the award of the London Olympics in 2012, that how that actually gave the system real focus. And I'm um, excited to share this discussion with you because it was fascinating. And uh, for example, Jamie Pringle starts to highlight the fact that as, as the system starts to get that a further wave of investment, that, that it has a challenge of being able to scale appropriately at the right pace in the right way. Rosie May starts a discussion around the need for coaches to change because previously coaches were required just to work with their athletes one-on-one and, and now they're in a position of having all this resource, all this manpower around them. So it's a real challenge for coaches to lead. The, the disciplines of science and medicine and engineering and, and investment all, all came in at the same time. We had different tribes forming and disciplines in sports and in locations and and the dynamic of identity and groups and teams was a real challenge for for the leaders in the UK system to hold those tensions, to get them working, but also to get them aligned. So the obvious other accelerator was July the 6th, 2005, so that was the day before the the London bombings, a dark day, but July the 6th, 2005, London was awarded the Games, and and that was an obvious accelerator for the the system. Do you remember where you were on on that day? Uh, I I was on the beach at Eastbourne, near the the pier, the stony beach, yeah. (laughs) But I vividly remember it. Yeah, I I was in Windsor. I had just become a business consultant at the time, and the office I was in didn't have a television. So we were around a phone listening to my sister, who was watching the oh, television. That's why <laughs> <laughs> so I got it second hand. Yeah. yeah. And you were at the BOA or were you at the Institute? No, I had just left the Olympic Association and, and joined the Institute as, as the Institute systems just started to overtake what was the forefather of, of service providers. Yeah. Um, we we, cele- we celebrated it. We cheered really loudly, and our, my my little daughter, another Rosie, um, she screamed, thought we were panicking. And she was 
She thought it was a bad thing. <laughs> we were. <laughs> but it was, it was a real flip yeah. of thinking, wow, this is going to be incredible. This is going to happen on our turf. Followed by, oh shit, we've got this coming up. Yeah. And I think the months afterwards of just thinking, okay, right, well, who around us have we got yeah. that we can work with that mm -hmm. might be on the start line in seven years. And I'd already had the conversation with a number of athletes, a number of coaches, we want to peak for 2012, not yeah. knowing that it was going to be home games. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, that's an interesting concept because, you know, you, at that time, not, and this is not in hindsight, but at that time, suddenly the bar has gone higher. And you're thinking, we need more, we need more people. We need more thinking around how we're going to get that and how we're going to allow that to happen. And what you were saying earlier around, you know, more medals in more sports, and that's been a trajectory that's carried on since then, you know, that, that kind of almost sets the bar higher for Tokyo and whatever comes beyond Tokyo as well, of how are we going to achieve that? So might have been a seminal moment in 2005, but that moment has progressed and has happened every, every time. Well, I think that's come with time because... Coming out of 2000, where the rowing team, the cycling team, the, the sailing team, they had some sustained success, yeah. but also success where you wouldn't expect it. So you'd expect Denise Lewis to medal, you'd expect Jonathan Edwards to medal, but other instances where people probably would have done well, possibly got a medal, they're starting to win and starting to win perhaps when you wouldn't expect it, and that, that then the Men's eight in the rowing. Men's eight, yeah. possibly other people like Ian Percy, Jason Queeley, there was a system yeah. behind yeah. it where they're starting to they've, get... They've it. succeeded because of, not in spite of. Well, I think it, you can start to interpret that there was, there was a blend of those cases. Yeah. Um, and and that, that's, that acceleration further out of 2000 of saying, right, we're going to back those sports and we're going to back where there's a winning system behind those medals. There's yeah. no sort of winning by chance. Um, my memory of the, the, once the London Games was awarded was that that then started to filter into all the other aspects. So the sports science services, sports medicine services becomes much more focused. Mm. Mm. Uh, we have to start applying priority to this. Mm so that we're developing performance and the shift of thinking, well, I'm a physiologist, so I want the physiology to look good. Well, we're all in this to make performance look good mm, um, yeah. and it becoming prioritized. Um, that's, that's a bit that's always stuck with me is, you know, we naturally would kind of divide our responsibilities and our area of operations according to the disciplines that we've come from. Mm. But I think one of the biggest differences you see now, um, maybe you don't see it as much in some sports as others is, the performance backwards approach where actually it doesn't matter if it's a piece of nutrition or a piece of physiological physiological knowledge or psychological the performer and their coach sees that as a yeah as one yes. as a holistic thing and our understanding being able to sort of mm. know what your role is yes so know how you can offer something that's useful yes. and helpful but also know what everybody else's role is yes. and everyone else knows what you can bring so it's i don't know how you can describe that really but i think for me that is one of the fundamental differences between sports science in an academic sense and actual realities of working with performance is that it's not easily broken up. Yeah. We have to think of the performer and their performance. Yes. I, I was reflecting on 
having headed up the sports science in Wales, which is a small country which had the Welsh Institute of Sport and we had the sports, sports science, sports medicine, coach educate, coaching. And in a run into the 98 Commonwealth Games in Malaysia, it was so tight, you know, there was educational programmes going on for the coaches and the sports science support, support and the athletes that you could bring everyone together. So mm. I, I, we, you know, sitting both as a coach and a scientist uh, and an ex-athlete, it's the same message. The, the athletes don't care no. who provides the support. They want the support. The coaches don't particularly need to differentiate you as a physiologist or you as an altitude specialist. They want the information. Yeah. And the coach's role in that often is the distiller of that into yeah. a language that the, the athlete can understand. Mm. So I think whilst a lot of this conversation has been how has, how has the system changed and how has the science got more scientific, you know, absolutely parallel to that is how has the education of the coaches developed mm. and how has science been able to inform the coach and support the coach? I, I, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I was describing how, you know, that idea of the athlete-centred, mm. coach-managed mm. um, network, the round-table type approach around the athlete and their performance. But also, I was describing to someone, if you could, I had to actually explain what a scientist does within that role. It's, it's allowing the coach to make better decisions. Yeah. Because we have a coach, uh, sent, a coach managed system in the UK for most sports, where um, our role is not necessarily just for the athlete, it's allow that coach yes. to make the better decisions. Yeah, yeah. And, and not expecting the coach to know the science like we know it, you know, because it's, it's, it would have been our bread and butter, that's mm. what we were doing day mm. in, day out. In the old, in the old in the days, black and white TV. When I were young, um, in the olden days, you know, a lot of the coaches had come through the educational system of the colleges. You know, Loughborough College, mm. St Luke's, Borough Road. The old, the old principles of teaching. They weren't necessarily been sports science uh, information mm. back then. They were great people at. Um, bringing performance out of people by the way in which they coach them. Yeah. I think there's been a big shift now in a lot of the coaches won't have had that education about educating. So, so they're coming into it from a different perspective as well. So I think as scientists, we're, we've got different ways in which we have to work with different, different uh, educated you, well, people. Well, absolutely. Um, that's the essence of not the content of, content of what we do, but the context of the people we're working with and how they uh, allow us to do our job and how yes. we can connect with them. Um, I was just going to say, I think it's in the same area, is that you might have a team of scientists and in some sports you've got a really big team sitting around the table, you know, 10, 12 kind of different specialists in their areas all working on, you know, either one athlete or one group of athletes. But usually there'll be one or two people, usually one person in that room who takes a lead and it they might not be from the same discipline for the same athlete or for the same coach. I know it's been, I think it's quite a, I don't know if it's necessarily the best example, but it's a good example of where it's worked, where one practitioner becomes the filter, the route mm. by which mm. the coach and the athlete mm. can connect. Mm. And they might be doing a job, this is where the role might have to flex, because they might have to do a job that's not really their specialism. Mm. I can think of lots of good examples where the physiotherapist is the front line, is the person that the coach and athlete will be face to face with. Yeah. The physiotherapist might be the last person that the athlete sees before they step out on the track. Yeah. Yeah. So their influence yeah. there is really critical. Yeah. 
So for a coach then, the, the, the leadership challenge has changed mm. over the, the generations. How do you mean? Um, from the point of view that if it's uh, Peter Keane, Chris Borkman, they're on their own and sure. Peter's bringing in information from other specialists or researching it himself and applying it. Whereas now you've got a, a team around and so the, the, the leadership challenge for the coach is about team management, clarity, yeah. yeah. cutting through the noise, applying yes. priority. Yeah. And, and I, I remember mm. switching from a, from a scientist role uh, with Kelly Southerton to coaching her and it was a dawning realisation that I just need to cut down the noise yeah. and, and give her focus, give her clarity and realising that for the first half of my career I'm a noise generator, yeah. what about this idea, what about yes. that idea yeah. and I had people knocking on my door saying could we measure this, could we test this, yeah. that's not going to help yeah. Yeah. and empathically having a real switch of thinking, okay, this is what it's like for a coach yeah. on a day-to-day -day basis, having to manage all these inputs. Mm. That's a real step change. That's a real mindset change, is it not? Absolutely, but I think that there is an, a, you do have to be thinking about what it's like for the customer experience or the client experience for the coach. Um, it's, they, they've gone from a performer who's perhaps had a lot of it fed to them, yeah gravitating to yeah. a lead role where I've got people that are looking to me for advice and I can support you by telling you what sort of training to do, or structuring it and so on, giving them words of wisdom, then suddenly thinking, okay, there's a lot of other people around here, well, I've got to harness that yeah. uh, to be productive. And, um, and how that brings in the whole piece of the dynamics of the team and the relationship piece in the success of performers. Early on you said something yeah. about there's the technology piece, there's the training piece and I, and I go right back to some of that research into creating champions and the relationships that some of those uh, early successful champions had with their coach who yeah. weren't specialist scientists, who weren't necessarily always great technicians but had such a phenomenal relationship mm. with the young athlete who then grew and grew and grew and they grew with them, that there's that dimension that comes into it as well as the groundbreaking innovation, the scientific piece, and let's not forget the human dynamic piece, especially there where you're saying suddenly there's this team of people and we're used to doing our own job. How do we work with other members of a team? Yeah. What's our, what is our leadership role in that where we're not necessarily the front Person, I think when you you gave a couple of examples there of real life people who you know have been and it's very consequential. Your role that you have played mm. has had a consequence to someone's performance, their success. But it struck me, you know, when you come in as a young, you know, young in age but young in experience into that sort of environment, you want to give. You want to yeah. give of your your knowledge, your experience that you might have at that time, your 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 skills. But what you're describing is actually a filtering process that says, mm. I, I don't want more, I yeah. want less, but I want the right things at the right time for the right people in the right way. And that is powerful because I don't think anyone would ever teach somebody that. You know, yeah. if I'm in the university setting, no one is going to teach me that story mm. until I see it probably as a failure because I've gone in all guns blazing saying I can do this, I can do that. And someone says, no thanks, and I'm not going to invite you in again. 
And that requires a whole host of different intelligences. Your intrapersonal skill to, to, to be pitching your best idea or critiquing some of those ideas, the interpersonal skill or verbal linguistic to be able to communicate those ideas at the right moment yeah. um, so that it lands. Uh, so for it to be effective, physios, strength and conditioning coaches, they will have to demonstrate. So it will require not just the logical mathematical skills that we often push to the fore. Yeah. Um, I think there is something about the, mm. the, the system having to hold the team dynamic and the complexity of the network. Yeah, uh, and I think to hold, to, what I'm hearing there is something about ego. You know, so yeah, the compromising yes. and stepping back at the right time. So my experience of being being a sports scientist, being an academic, be moving out of that into business and then coming back into different sectors, sectors that have bright people, with that comes an mm. arrogance and, and and a rightful belief that your way of thinking is the right way of thinking. Hmm. And therefore you've worked it out and therefore that is what should be. <laughs> and, and so whenever you do consultancy work coming into the, the academically based sectors, that's what I would expect is a pushback is, you know, I've thought this through, I'm, I know how I think. Yeah. And the biggest learning I think for me along my journey about interpersonal was, was doing personality preferences on myself and learning how to do them on others and suddenly realising, oh God, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm like that, am I? Mm. And, and this whole other world of, actually we get relationships going by intuitive stuff and emotional connection and not just our brains. Mm. And therefore, if we're going to have a team dynamic full of bright people who are clever, yeah. in terms of the sports science support to be able to put your ego aside and recognise that you have the role to play which is as you're saying sometimes you might have to step into a role that isn't yeah. your yeah. best position to play mm. especially if you're really bright and you've got so much yeah. to say I think that's a real uh, and challenge and the fact that I think it's still can always improve and I think that will be one of the challenges going forward as the pressures start to go up to get more from less but that tension, that, that um, competitive advantage has been held and dealt with and worked with as you start to establish more and more centres around a country, yeah. Yeah. Um, more and more staff, more and more investment, particularly as it, as it started to go towards London. And then you've got a complexity of a network that starts to fragment or little pockets start mm. to, to mm. create um, and to be able to establish trust within, it could be just the site team, the team within a certain location have got a camaraderie that's different from yes. somewhere else, yeah. mm -hmm. a disciplined view, well we're the ologists yes. from this yes. area, or we've got the badge that we're working with this particular type of sport, um, so different identities and relationships, that's been held and worked with throughout that time, I think is, I would say probably one of the differentiators because when I talk to other countries mm, around the mm. world, they're not dealing with that. Yeah. You've got... Not yet. Not yet, but, but they are, when, when they latch onto it, they'll get competitive advantage from it. Yeah. You've got people in the same building not talking to each yeah. other. Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> that's, that's leaving, that's, that's almost 
doing yeah. a service to the athlete. It might be stretching the metaphor a little bit, but I'll go with this. It, it feels to me, you know, where we've, I think we've all had good examples or good experiences of exa and examples where that's worked really well. And you've sat around that table and that balance of people's contributions at the right time, for the right way, for the right purpose has been managed in a really effective way. Largely because you have somebody, either a coach, a performance director, or one of the practitioners, who can take that step back and see that slightly bigger mm -hmm. picture. Mm -hmm. A bit like the, this is where the metaphor gets stretched, a bit like um, the conductor of an orchestra can call upon you know, the horn section to blare when they need to, and call upon the, uh, the violins yeah. to you know, overhear. But everyone realizes that actually just hearing that piece doesn't cut it, you need to have it within the context of, are we all playing the same tune? Yes. Is this the baby still walking? <laughs> uh, yes. uh, now they've got a violin. Yeah. Uh. And the, the piece that emerges for me from that is, and um, when we have a really clear sense of purpose about what we would do, yes. and I think that's what the professionalism of the system in Britain has brought, is more and more now, it's not just about, well, I looked after this athlete and they were successful or we as Loughborough or Bath looked after and they were successful. Now we're saying we are part of a network yeah. that has put, I go goosebumps here, that, that we did so well in London and then did even better. Mm, yeah. I think that has generated some sense of belonging of the, the, uh, yeah. the, the, the whole of the services, the coaches, the scientists. Use the, the word purpose. And I think that's really the key mm. piece there that now you know, we, there's so much activities that go on operationally every day. There's stuff that goes on, but there's only a few bits of purpose. And it's if we could have a performance model that says these factors actually create these are the capacities that that create your performance. Then our purpose is to figure out how do we you know how do we um, work on those. But purpose being the actual thing is, you know, if I said to a practitioner. Why? Yeah. You know, what, 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 is, what is the benefit of this? What's it going to allow you to do better? Why are you doing this? Their ability to articulate that back is mm. so much better now yes. than it was yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you talked about measuring things and uh, measuring your chop putter on the treadmill. <laughs> if he had said, what's the purpose of this? Mm to get data. Yeah. <laughs> so guilty. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, and that, yeah. that with, with the purpose comes clarity and with that clarity becomes um, almost the kind of the parsimony, that's a good word, uh, of being able to really just reduce down to what you're doing so it reduces the noise. Yeah. But the purpose, purpose yeah. is the that was That was very difficult in the post-London period where it was reaching the peak, reaching the peak yeah. and everyone yeah. was focused on the summit and then it was this, oh, Hang on a minute, and then we always expect a lull after yeah. a big high. But hang on a minute, that could have been the best day in work ever. Yes, and and so it, we had to to lift the team up, yeah. and the, the the fact that the goal was set even higher yeah. then, a lot of people then suddenly had a reaction, yeah. fear, threat, resistance, and and it wasn't until we got to the purpose piece. What is your purpose? Mm. And then people could see, well, I do this. This is my role. Okay, to do what? Mm -hmm. To put athletes on the podium. To do what? And so it was these why questions yeah. and uh, to do what? Then these people started to connect with, to give pride to the nation. Yes. And it was, yeah. it, was yeah. it was connecting with a cause that was bigger. Yeah. 
that then diffused a lot of the fear and threat. Yes. That's, so, quite, that's quite philosophical what you're talking about there. I mean, it's, it's reality, but it's also quite philosophical. Yeah, if, I'm, <laughs> if I'm a young practitioner and I'm maybe, I've got ambition and I've got, I really get inspired by that and I want to step into that world, mm. those kind of ambitions are very, very lofty. They're beyond my, you know, my frame of reference. But what the one thing I could do as a young practitioner is, is better understand all this content, all this stuff I've been fascinated by learning about how it fits together, you know, what I can do with it. Well, what does it allow me to do better? What does it not allow me to yeah. do better? Allow the coach, the athlete to do better. And that, and that was the that was the pulse that we had to t to follow people. What's your purpose on a day-to-day -day basis to do what to do what? And therefore if we're going to achieve this goal, yeah. where would you start? And that, that grounds them in their role. Where would you start? And that started to draw out the questions of, well actually I, I tell you what, I could, I've always thought this, or no one's ever really listened to me, but I've got this idea. And mm. um, okay, what support do you need? But and then you I would, I'd take that even further. I'd put realities on it and say, look, you need, you need to have, if I'm, I'm going to go back to my example of being a master's student or a final year undergraduate. If I'm doing a piece of work about an area of science, an ology, then I can do that piece of work. But if I do that piece of work for somebody, if I actually take somebody who's working and it has consequence, my work now has consequence because I can help you. Um, or if I get it wrong, I can hinder you. I think just, I'm going back to that thing, I've, I, I need to give purpose to my study, to my learning. And that purpose has consequence because I can now do something with it. Mm. And I, I honestly think if I was an undergraduate, that would be the kind of thing. Think of the way that what you're learning about, what you're writing about, as an adult direction because I could literally give that report to a coach mm. and it would benefit them. Well, I remember doing some leadership development with the EIS where we were challenging you as practitioners in the EIS. Mm. What was the purpose of the EIS? You know, what, mm. why did you all exist? And then asking you as individuals, why did you individually do what you did? Mm. And I think that kind of thinking in business and in the sports sciences is really fundamental deep thinking that often isn't taught, isn't mm -hmm. facilitated. And I think when it is, you get the united sense behind a common purpose. So if it is to inspire the nation, if it is to help the best get better, if I remember a story of someone saying, now this, one of the secretaries at one of the EIS offices feels like, as she's typing, by the way, I'm typing there, yeah. and putting an x-ray in an envelope and sending it off. She knows she's mm. helping the best get better. She mm. knows this is her part mm. of inspiring the nation or whatever that cause is. And I think it's not either or, I think it's both and. That we does, it, does that require a certain amount of maturity, though? Um, as in, you know, we were talking before about the, the baby through to the mm -hmm. adult. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a teenager is unlikely to be able to have the moment of reflection and thinking back and contextualizing and all the things you just talked about. The humility, almost, it's an aspect of humility, isn't it, to know that I can do less and it's going to be more successful. I don't need to do more. And what you just described there of you know challenging people about what's your purpose, it takes a fair amount of maturity to do that. And, and I could say, let's be innovative, I don't it? think you yes. could do that with a, uh, um, with a young practitioner or an undergraduate, for example. And is that, is that because we haven't? Mm. Uh, and I would challenge it yeah. possibly because we haven't. Yeah. So if you, I was recently at an international school in Maastricht listening to 16 to 18 year old kids talking about 
why they do what they do and what they want to do with their lives. And it's lovely and idealistic, but, and, not even but, and they have a really, really strong sense of who they are because of the educational system that they've been through. Right. So I, I would hazard a guess that if we start people thinking about that earlier, about why do I do what I do, um, it, will, it will enhance also what they do. I think the, the whole idea of teaching the things that don't get taught and that sort of plugging gaps yeah. where you have to shift yes. to, to in order for you to create new progress performance. Um, I think that's another series of episodes but, um, but that in itself is probably another one of the differentiators. Mm. Um, in some ways, the, the system got walking, it found its thing that it wanted to focus on, maybe the 2005, and then it started to prioritise yes. and started to say, well, in order to perform at home games, we are going to need to do these things. And that, that moment post-Beijing, the big breath in before the, the home games, uh, and actually a lot of those skills, the, the purposeful professional skills of communication and rapport building and team working got exposed yeah and it, and it yeah. but it got worked on yeah you can follow us on twitter at support underscore champs and me at ingham underscore steve check out our linkedin page www.linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash supporting hyphen champions